Good evening. I'm Nancy Nangeroni. I'm Gordine McKenzie. And this is Gender Talk. Again, this is Gender Talk, worldwide radio that talks about transgenderism in the first person. Each week, we bring you news, information, and exciting new voices that challenge our traditional view of gender and much more. Tonight, we're going to meet a couple of inspiring and inspired transgender folks. First, we'll meet Mika Gordon, a trans woman who transitioned on the job as a teacher in New York and somehow kept her job. Then we'll meet Brett Jenny Beeman, director of the Stonewall Center at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, a tireless trans activist who eschews binary identity. And because it's what we like to do, we'll also have the Twisted Nasty News, Raving Raven, Gender News, Question of the Week, Eveline's Diary, and much more tonight on Gender Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Gender Talk. It's another Saturday night, and we're glad to be back here on WMBR. I, of course, am your host, Nancy Nangeroni, also hosting with me... Gordine McKenzie. And welcome back to Gender Talk, Gordine McKenzie. You too, Nancy Nangeroni. We're counting down. It's our third to last show. Is it the third to last? It's our third to last. Engineering for us. Mark Weaver. Mark Weaver. (laughs) Always thank you, Mark. And I saw Mark gritting his teeth as we said that. It's very sad. Yeah, it is sad. We're sad about it. Well, we're taking a season off. We're we're taking a season off. With us on the phone, of course, our very own... Oh, Hal Fuller. Hi there. Uh, Hey, Hal. Hi there. And uh, last week I forgot to introduce, but this week I will not forget to introduce... Raving, Raven. Our very own bird with the word. So we're all here tonight. It's the full Gender Talk crew. Yeah, counting down. Three weeks to go. We got uh, tonight and two more weeks, and that's it. It's sad. Oh no, but boy, we sure appreciate it more, don't we? We do. <laughs> well, we always we always appreciate it. It's just that we both have some other projects that we oh, yeah. really want to do, and uh, we love Gender Talk. Yeah, hey, get a life. Get a life. <laughs> you always put it in perspective, Hal, don't you? I do try. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to try real hard to figure out some way to earn a living, and uh, that's going to take some time, and 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 so that's part of part of my reason. And uh, you know, better better we stop doing it while we're doing it well, than let it go to hell and then stop. Leave because on Because people are telling us to. Yeah. I, I don't think that's we would let it win. go. <laughs> no, we wouldn't let it win. But, uh, yeah, so we'll there's always a possibility we'll come back. We're not saying, you know, we're going to take some time off. We're going to also assess it. Yeah, we're going to do some assessing. We're going to look in the mirror and say, ah! uh, And we accept bribes. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> well, let's see. Hal, you were around for the first show with Nancy? The first one. Oh, yeah. And that was 12 years ago. 12 years ago. That's right. A little over 12 years yeah, ago. My, over 12. how time flies. It sure yeah. does. Yeah. It seems like just yesterday, Hal, you and I were sitting down. You were in the in the uh, control <laughs> room, and I was in the studio with Jamie and uh, Ross. And, and we were acting like we knew what we were doing. Yeah. You know, maybe what we'll do is bring some of the audio from that first show to our last show. 
might be fun playing around a little bit of that. We've been we've been talking about what should we do on the last the last show. Also happens to fall on my birthday, so we're saying, well, should we do some kind of combined thing? So I don't, so we were thinking so we might open up the studios. Come on down to the station yeah. and have a piece of birthday cake for Nancy's birthday. Yeah, Saturday, September thirtieth. Yeah. So during Gender Talk, and uh, we'll have an open door policy for folks to come in and chat with us on the mic. Yeah. I think. and come and, uh, come early, maybe around seven o'clock on September thirtieth. WMBR. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it, we don't know if it's going to be a final farewell here or not, to be honest with you. So we're, we're not sure what, what we should we be doing. We may be back next season. We reserve the right to come back, but yeah. anyway, enough of that. Enough of that. Uh, Let's see. Moving along. Moving right along. What else is going on? It's a hard thing to move along. You know, uh, we have a female news anchor, Katie Couric, and I only watched the first broadcast. And I'm thrilled that we have... And not fair to judge on on just her first broadcast. I'm thrilled that we have a female anchor. But I'm not sure I like the way they did the broadcast. And yeah. the the execs uh, there may have, you know, set it up a particular way. So Katie had to come out, and we got leg shots and, you know, the whole the whole yeah. thing. So <laughs> not could, very progressive. They couldn't resist. No, they couldn't resist. Oh, no, it was, it was definitely uh, a step down from what you expect in the nightly news, I think, in, it in terms of seriousness. It was nightly news as and, entertainment. Yeah, yeah. With new features. So Let well, freedom well, ring. But you know what? <laughs> uh, the first time I saw Stephen Colbert do his show, I thought, my God, how does he make it through the whole show? And I thought, oh, this is, it seemed kind of frantic. And uh, he certainly has settled in. Oh, I, I immediately in a, in a took good way. to him. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we, we love that satire. So who knows? Maybe Katie Kirk will do great. It's good to have a woman on, um, but not a, it's not good if she's being exploited for That's her right. uh, feminine charm or whatever you want to call it. Would we ask Dan Rather or any other male newscaster, step around that news desk and, and let us yeah, let's take a shot of your legs, Well, I think if it, was, <laughs> if, if it were some, let's say if it were somebody with an impressive musculature, then I think they might, um, they might make be, him take off his shirt. They might be wearing t- a tight shirt that showed off the fact that he had that muscular chur. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen that Muscul- yet. Haven't seen it yet. Yep. Well, I think it's different you, ways. You ever, that watched, you ever watch a baseball game? Sure, but that's different. Those than uniforms news. are like, yeah, it is. It's, it's very different, and and the way that we accord a certain amount of respect to people, supposedly in well, the, in the news, they I mean, only it's the showed, formula. They only showed her legs at the end uh, over the credits, and it was after the news was finished. So I wouldn't be too hard on her for that. I'm not hard on her. I that was probably not her decision. To come around front and sit at the desk. I don't know. She was doing this whole casual thing. You got to figure she's got some kind of control, some kind of creative control. She's not totally subject. I mean, you know, it's anytime someone's doing a show that has their name on it, they have to have some measure of creative control. I mean, I don't think that follows. Really? Mm-mm. I mean, uh, may- maybe. Well, maybe. Why, very why would limited. we presume? Why would we presume that she's just totally enthralled to her handlers? I'm not presuming that. I'm just saying that I don't think that you can presume what you're saying. Yeah. That she had no control? Or that she has some control? I don't think we know either way. Yeah. Okay. I haven't been able to follow most of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking speaking of control. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of control. Uh, 
Gordina and I have been watching Deadwood, some more oh, Deadwood. It's <laughs> very <laughs> twisted. It's a great show. <laughs> People were honest. Men were men, women were women. And animals were dead and hanging. Yes. And yes. small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri were small furry creatures from Alpha Centauri. Something like that. There you go. Yeah. No, actually, the the the, uh, the show has uh, lots of alternative sexuality and and it's, it's and gender uh, calamity and gender. Jane. Yeah, calamity Jane, and and she's not the only one. So yeah, I think it's a good show. Uh, I'm sure enjoying that. Gender is everywhere. Gender is everywhere. <laughs> it is, isn't it? All right, I don't have anything else. To, oh, we haven't talked about uh, who our guests are on the show tonight, because we have two fascinating guests, um, uh, neither of whom I know personally, but that's not unusual here Both on the show. Both returning. Mika Gordon. Both returning? Mm-hmm. No. We have had... We had Brett Beeman on before, I remember. Yes, and we had Mika on we did? as well. Yes, oh. we did. And they came back for another one? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Well, they're doing other things, which okay. is why we invited them back. Oh, okay. Well, you learn something every day. All right, Ms. Chili. Anything else to say about our guest for tonight? <laughs> well, Brett is doing a study that is probably going to be the, the largest study ever of uh, folks uh, and how they, they develop their transgender identity, it, really looking into it. And Brett, who goes by the pronoun Z, because Brett defines as genderqueer and doesn't define in the binary. Yeah. I, I, uh, we got a Bay Windows article about Brett that misuses Z. Z mm. is a replacement for he and she, but not for him or her. Here and so they use it for him or her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which I thought was pretty. Okay, so bizarre. we have to we have to kind of step that. Uh, is Z the current politically correct terminology to use? I I haven't been in the loop for a while. Now, Miss Chili, when I searched the Gender Talk website for Mika, I don't come up with anybody. So I don't think we've had Mika Gordon on before. Well, yeah, I think we I'm have. Sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll just <laughs> leave that to uh, Brett Jenny Beeman. We had on show five twenty one. Yep. But Mika doesn't come up under the search. Well, so ask, ask Mika when you talk to Mika. Okay, we'll do that. Or maybe it was so long ago that it doesn't even show up. And people can certainly search for themselves instead of being bored by us doing it. And uh, is, that, is that a little hint, Hal? <laughs> Brett. Refers to herself as a career. Herself. Yes, queer. Uh, earning a PhD in African American studies and like three master's degrees one in African American studies, American studies, and higher education administration. Sounds more like a career student. And then Brett said that's enough time spent in school. Yeah, I think so. Unless you're teaching. Yeah. All right, anyway. We're going to have a good show. These are good. These are great folks who are doing good work out there. promise you things will get better from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's, Hal, why don't you rescue us right now? <laughs> With Hal Fuller. Twisted nasty news. Bringing a little sunshine into your otherwise drab and dull existence. Good. I'm glad you said existence and not program. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I'm on it, too. I don't want to be boring or considered to be boring. Yeah. Very few people have considered me boring. Um, a lot of people have walked away in disgust. But not, yeah, not, yeah. That's a reaction I'm more likely to get, I think. I don't know. Anyway, what do you got for us tonight? Okay. Well, just before the anniversary of Hurricane Tr- Katrina, John M. Lyons, Jr. filed a lawsuit in New Orleans against Marks Morris. Um 
who admits Colin Deering Lyons' pleasure boat <clears throat> during the chaos after Katrina in order to rescue more than 200 people, including a 93-year-old uh, dialysis patient whose wife praised Morris for a Times Picayune story. Nevertheless, said Morris, <clears throat> said Lyons, I'm sorry, I was a little clogged up tonight. I didn't have permission to use the boat, and since it was ultimately lost, uh, he's suing him for $12,000. Mm. It's like, if he hadn't used it, it would have just floated off into the uh, Gulf of Mexico. He saved people. Leave him alone. He's a hero. Yeah, one would think. One would think. One would think one would want one's boat to have been used to save people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's tough to lose it, but I would think insurance would cover that. I mean, I'd throw out my new inflatable arrow bed mattress if I thought it would <laughs> save one. <laughs> Just had to get that one in. If you were in New Orleans, you'd have to float it out your window. Right. Uh, that actually happened to a lot of people in New Orleans. Oh, I, yeah. They could just, like, if the window was wide enough, they could, like, push the mattress out. Oh, yeah. Wow. If Does it? it it's kind of cancy when you inflate it in the water because it can short out. It, it, uh, it, it, anyway. Anyway. Okay, uh, here's a story from New York. Salon facials available in New York City now include one at the Nobby Med Spa that uses stem cells from pregnant cows to rejuvenate damaged skin. Mm. Okay. Another from the same uh, uses the application of caviar to the skin. Well, you know, I think there's a, a lot of money to be made in the application of things to skin. And the more exotic, probably the more opportunity, I would think. A few, few rousing courses of fish heads. Oh, I'm sorry, fish eggs. Yeah. So they're, mm. they're, they're putting fish eggs on people's faces to make them look younger uh, and smell interesting. Well, they put all kinds of stuff on, don't so they? So we, we smear eggs or embryos on our faces, <laughs> too. Oh, so that's egg on your face. Isn't it? Ooh, very good. And speaking of eggs, the British Egg Information Service announced the imminent availability of a smart egg to solve the surprisingly contentious issue of when they are soft or hard-boiled or medium or however you want them properly boiled. An invisible ink on the shell turns the egg black at supposedly precisely the right moment. Now, that's nice. Wow. That's a convenient feature. That's amazing. That's so cool. So you have an egg that you can put in the water, and you don't have to time it anymore. You just have to watch it. Right. And when it turns... I wonder what Raven is thinking about this. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, how I've been shifted around here a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, what what are you saying? You're just going to boil our undeveloped little uh, chicks alive? Oh, I'm very thankful to the birds for uh, keeping our race alive and allowing us to evolve into the superior creatures that we are. By by eating our little unborns? (laughs) It's what they're there for. (laughs) <laughs> what, what do you mean? It's what they're Boy, am I pulling your chain tonight. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be a long, puppy night. <laughs> Could have happened to me, and I wouldn't have been here today. Buckle your seatbelts. Okay. Uh, so we, we, Sorry, we, we, we got a smart egg. <laughs> a smart egg. All right. Okay. The Christian Retail Show in Denver. Ooh. 
In August, demonstrators said a Los Angeles Times report, nearly a parallel commercial universe with hundreds of Christian revisions of products and services, such as sweatbands, pajamas, dolls, health clubs, insurance a- Christian insurance agencies, tree trimmers, and fragrances. Okay, fragrances, I can understand. Christian fagr- fragrances? Wait a minute, I don't. Uh, it, it, oh, I used to love the smell of that incense that they brought out at... Uh, oh, in Catholic churches? Yeah. Well, for instance, there's, there's one yeah. perfume called Slap Jesus On. Now, are you kidding? Slap no. Jesus On? Slap Jesus On. Can you slap Jesus off, too? <laughs> slap on, <laughs> clap off. Uh, although the tougher cells appear to be Book 22, a Christian sex toy website that sells condoms, vibrators, and lubricants to married couples. Wait a minute. Yeah, isn't yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm having difficulty with that one, too. Isn't, yeah, isn't that illegal, according to the Pope? Or immoral, at least? But not all Christians are Catholic. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, my mistake. Apparently, these, this particular sect has no problem with Good. it. Good. As long as you keep it within the confines of a <clears throat> a marital, well, that's normal, good then. quote, scene. Now healthy. Yeah. Very progressive. Okay, in August, zookeepers at Appenful Ape Park in Apeldoorn, Netherlands, said they had arranged with counterparts at the park to establish a live Internet video connection to provide companionship to their respective rare orangutans, treating the connection as sort of a visual dating site, an idea whose time has certainly come. Uh, A spokesperson said the apes might learn to push buttons to transfer food to each other's creating a natural fondness that might lead to mating, if, of course, if transportation. If you can get the car from Dad. Yeah. <laughs> now, wait, wait. Are these incarcerated orangutans? Uh, I think that it's like a free-range park, but, yeah, it's... it's. Yeah, I don't think there's any natural habitat in the Netherlands no. okay. for orangutans, and certainly no na- no indigenous orangutan population. It gets cold there, so they probably want somewhere yeah. to shelter, which... Uh, it, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's an arranged thing. So they can, so they're gonna set it up so they can feed each other, or they can activate feeding mechanisms for each other over the internet. Yeah, it's a dating uh, gimmick, like the gay dating show I used to be on long ago and far away. Oh, tell us about that, Hal. Uh, well, we'd have a, a quote unquote eligible bachelor come on and talk about themselves, and then. Uh, they could call in us and speak with him through us, so there there was still anonymity. But um, there is still what? People would come on and say hi. Anonymity. My name is, I'm oh. Hal. I'm 42 years old. Uh, uh, divorced. Exploring my bisexuality. Uh, I would love to talk to someone who has similar interest. Yeah. And then people who found me attractive and appealing would then call up and we could talk. And they would be, but the callers could be anonymous. Right. Okay, I thought you said they, were, they could be with enmity, and that was what confused me. <laughs> they were still anonymous, they yeah. were still protected. If any contact was to be made, it was entirely up to the people that were making it. Now, Hal, I remember... This is called safe. I remember when I first came on to Gender Talk, and it must have been within the first few months... And you were going on a date, and we all decided to follow oh you. My, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> Was that anything to do with that? Oh, God. I'd okay. almost forgotten yeah. that. We were all Thank chaperoning you. Thank you for reminding you. me of that evening. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, Gordine and I were on a on a roll that night. We were definitely on a roll. I was being so protected, the guy fled in absolute terror. <laughs> <laughs> and we were at, yes, we were yes, we I were very. I haven't had a date since. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just chaperoning. We were you worried have. for you. You had yeah. linked up with somebody online, and we and we just wanted to be sure you. you were safe. Yeah. And he was cute, too. Yeah. So all of gender talk If you're went still out with, there, I'm still available. I'm a little bit older Hal. now. But, <laughs> but then so is he. That's true. Yeah. Um, anyway, science on the cutting edge, weird disorders in the news, and, and pr- this is one of those you're going to love my pronunciations, recently included prosopognosia, gesund height, which is the inability of a person to remember people by their faces, even ones of immediate family, mm. Mm. which would be a pain. And trimethylamenuria. Mm. <laughs> That's a good one. Very smelly uh, feces. <laughs> the ability, the inability to process a chemical that left in the body causes a putrid odor. Oh. Researchers uh, soon declared and. Uh, it, it kind of got in the way of, of social feelings. Yeah. Oh, boy, you stink. Uh, eat the chlorophyll. So hopefully you're not suffering from either of those, and if you are, would you please move over to the next table? A Connecticut company and Germany's Max Planck Institute have made recent breakthroughs in developing the genome of the Neanderthal man. What? They How developed they do the that? genome? They have, are developing a genome of Neanderthal man. It shows a 99% similarity to that of uh Oh, I see. They're, they're studying the genome from uh, right, remains. Probably from bones yeah. or, or yeah. Well, from fossilized remains. According to a July New York Times report, if they succeed, it might be possible to bring the species back to life by implanting the genes into a human egg and bringing it to term. Look, I was on the bus the other day. <laughs> And they've been carrying on those experiments in secret. <laughs> because you've seen the, the uh, offspring from They walk among us. <laughs> <laughs> They're here. Uh, I that, made that up, I hope. That's so weird. Don't we have, aren't 99% of our genomes in common with chimpanzees? Right. So, of course, I would expect Neanderthals to be at least 99% in common. And it is theoretically possible for uh, human beings and chimpanzees to successfully interbreed, although uh, if it's been done, they're not talking about it. Yeah, yeah, never heard of that Because it is highly illegal, and they would be driven out of every civilized country in the world. So I, I can understand that they would be playing it close to their best. Yeah. Yeah. Moving right along... Speaking of scents... Yeah, people tend to discourage that sort of thing. The Tokyo Institute of Technology said in July... (laughs) Tokyo Institute of Technology said it is building a database of 96 scents that will be machine reproducible with uses ranging from helping online shoppers smell a product before buying to helping doctors diagnose illness by sniffing a patient's bile. Sensors will trigger a library of chemicals to accurately produce almost any odor from old fish to gasoline. That that would be useful. This is a very, very olfactory news. <laughs> uh, I'll see if I can move along. What's going on, Hal? <laughs> so this is an olfactory database, huh? Uh, uh, 
I think that's interesting because that's certainly one sense that we as a race have sort of ignored and and allowed to, for the most part, atrophy in terms of our daily lives. And yet it undercuts Mine's reason. It, it goes straight to the, the primal uh, instinct. No, yours isn't. Yeah. No, I have a very sharp olfactory sense. Yeah, it pokes me every so often. <laughs> it's very, it's very strong. Okay, here's a story from India. In July, India's medical association began investigating three doctors who appeared on television to promote their amputation services, specifically to beggars whose income oh. prospects grow with more sympathy they engender. Oh my! Oh. So one doctor said he would remove a leg below the knee, leaving Please. it fairly easy to fit a prosthetic. It's a going concern. My they can make goodness. more begging than oh, they this can is, this working. This is hideous. Yeah. Um, and there's there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong that that, that exists in our nature. But well, let's go look at the cripple. Um, well, I guess you know if it comes down to survival and it comes down to eating yeah. every day. Yeah. And what's more important to eat or to have that leg? You know, maybe... I, I think it's more complex. And I, I haven't actually been faced with that decision, so why should I judge? Yeah. But I probably will anyway, so there. Gordon thinks it's more complex. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that we're, we need to really look at what's going on within the culture in terms of belief systems and what's happening to that person and their body and... You know, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm There's sure. a lot of a lot of factors. Of Speaking of belief systems and compassion, um, ATT pr- once again proves that it really doesn't care about anybody. A widow rented a rotary dial telephone for 42 years, paying what her family calculates is more than fourteen thousand dollars for a now outdated phone. Uh, 52 years old, first leased two black rotary phones. Uh, in the 1960s, back then, the technology they're was new. They're still out there. And they're still out there. Yeah. And, and they're, they're not, like, calling her up and saying, hey, look, you know, there's this new thing of where... Of course they're not. Of course they're not. That's... I think that that's um, nasty of them. Yeah. Not to... One would think. One would, it would have been nice, but, you know, they, they like setting up income streams. No doubt. Yeah, one last story. Uh, that didn't sound like much of a story, Hal. But that's certainly much better than the okay, conversation we had early in the program that came under such scrutiny. Here, here we go. <laughs> bested only by To Kill a Mockingbird, the most popular gay novel is named the second most banned book on America Booksellers Association. Bested only by Kill a Mockingbird, the popular gay-oriented young novel Geography Club has been named the number two banned book by the American Booksellers Associate. So go out and, and, and read good gay literature. All right. Mm. Will do. And I guess that's it for this edition of the News Talk Twisted Nasty News. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> twisting, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that, Hal. We enjoy it, as always. And we certainly appreciate your bringing the Twisted Nasty to us all here on Gender Talk. But now it's time for that feathered friend... How well everybody's heard about the bird. It's raving right on. How you doing, Raven? I'm pretty ruffled, Nancy, if you haven't noticed. 
Is that right? My feathers are a little ruffled here. My oh. God, it worked. You ruffled me up, pal. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was intentional, was it? Agent provocateur. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know Hal did it. But now for a moment of living in harmony with nature. <laughs> oh, you mean your We're segment having here. a moment. Oh, okay. We're, We're having, having a moment. moment. Oh, okay. Well, let's have a moment of actually, living Actually, as it's as the weather's starting to get a little bit crisper, although it's even going to be nice here tomorrow, I heard, uh, some things that you might do around the house to be conscious of, to be friendly toward other critters. Yeah. Cap your chimney. When birdies sit on chimneys for warmth, they can inhale toxic fumes. And if the chimney's uncapped, they can fall in and die. And because we've destroyed so many trees, many raccoons nest in chimneys. And if you hear mouse-like squeals from above your fireplace damper... Chances are they're coming from baby raccoons. Wow. Don't light a fire. You'll burn them alive. Just close the damper securely and do nothing until the babies grow older and the family leaves. And when you're absolutely sure everyone's out, have your chimney professionally capped. And uh, raccoons can get through amateur cappings pretty, pretty easy. And also, a mother raccoon or squirrel will literally tear apart your roof if you cap one of her young inside of your your chimney. And do not call any pest removal services to get rid of animals. Why not? Because they really do get rid of us, Nancy. Oh, so they they kill they destroy yeah. the animals. Yeah, don't don't do that. What you can do if you have to evict a raccoon family before they leave on their own is you can put a radio tuned to a loud talk or rock music in the fireplace. You can hang a mechanic's trouble light down the chimney because they like their homes dark and quiet, and leave them in a place for a few days because let the mom get the babies out. Oh, yeah. That yeah. makes sense. Okay, so you can drive them out with noise and light. Yeah, but uh, give, them, give them time. And, if, like, if an animal has a nest of young in an unused part of your house and it's not doing any harm, don't feel like you have to evict them. Wait a few weeks or so until the young are better able to cope. And, you know, uh, we, we owe displaced wildlife all the help that we can give them. Then you can open a window and put a light outside it, turn all the house lights off, and like if it's birds or something, they'll fly out. Yeah. But share, share a little portion of your home. We do that at home, Raven. Gordina and I do that. I know you do. Yeah, we have. You had birds come in and you used to just let them fly right out. You'd open the door and everything for them, didn't you? Yeah, we did. I knew it. And we got all kinds of animals living under our shed. We've had woodchucks and skunks and now we have a little rat living under there and that's my favorite <laughs> the the rat i love it when the yeah. rat comes out and it bounds out on its legs very high i get very very thrilled yeah well i i get thrilled by that too and you know a lot of people get very upset because they have moles in their yards or things i've got a solution what tiger poo tiger dung it scares them away because it's bigger and it's a big predator. But you know what, Hal? They help aerate lawns, and they eat the white grubs that damage grass and flowers. Right. You know? 
And so, you know, you don't want to you don't want to chase away like all those critters are like bats who can eat like lots a thousand mosquitoes in an evening. It's it's a matter of perspective whether you're the guy that owns the plant or the one that's eating it and who has the right to chomp. Well, if we just if we just made a little bit more room and and let me remind you as you're getting your cars winterized. Don't spill antifreeze. I've said this before. Right. It's highly toxic to animals who like the sweet taste. Shop for Sierra antifreeze, which is non-toxic and biodegradable. And the same to you people that are hanging outside the liquor store. Remember that lesson. Yeah, be be mighty careful. And also... A lot people hanging outside the... Li- I didn't get that one. Drinking anything to Don't get drink high. Don't drink it. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. You you had to be one to understand that one. Yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. One one more thing: be careful. Rinse out your uh, cans and jars when you recycle them, because every year little animals get their heads stuck inside jars and cans, oh. and they end up dying. Oh. They can't get yep. their they can't get their heads out, and many squirrels die in those kind of funnel shaped yogurt containers and many a mouse so make sure that you you rinse those out and and recycle them carefully so just a few a few tips and there there are a lot more tips in you can go to the world animal foundation dot homestead dot com it's the world animal foundation and there are all kinds of tips for how uh, you can live in harmony with nature and what's in the interest of animals. Cool. You know what I've been hearing all over the news this week? What's that? Maggot races. <laughs> Sorry. Now, why? It's a popular sport. <laughs> ah, I don't know how. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people all worried because of fish in the Potomac. And I don't like the way these stories are written. They're worried that the fish are in the Potomac? No. Mercury content or? No. It's what's happening with the fish inside. They're saying that uh, there are a number of male fish up to 80% to 100% of all the male fish. And they're a type of bass, a small, a small mouth bass are found to be growing eggs. Now, I don't like the way they talk about it because they say, scientists say... Are you talking about the have, male bass? That male bass have eggs. The male bass are growing eggs. 80 to 100%. And there have been a number of studies and stories abound this week. Why is week. that a problem? Well, I don't like the way they're talking about it. They say, Potomac intersex fish worry scientists. Oh. Scientists say, abnormal intersex fish. And then they also say the worrisome fish and they they talk about them like there's something wrong now what are you kidding most of the scientists are saying wow a new thing to look at well but there the way the language is is people were i heard a i heard this even on a radio show some uh-huh. of it and people were calling into the radio show and they're saying we're worried about drinking the tap water because we're worried what will happen to us we're worried that because of pollution and they think that it is pollution that what's happening is that it's an endocrine blocker. Yeah. And so, therefore, the, the fish are, are changing. Yeah, we've talked about this many times. Pollution does seem to, be, does seem to affect hormonal systems, and uh, it's inevitable that it's going to affect human hormonal systems as well. Well, we have to decide how much of it is acceptable and how much isn't. 
how much we can tolerate. But yeah, they mimic hormones uh, a lot of the estrogens, but they also find out that in pulp meals, it does the opposite, and it uh, it does androgens if you live by a pulp mill or a sawmill. No kidding. Yeah, so there there are different kinds of pollutants and things. But I wonder if the same is true though in nature. Maybe before there was any industry, I wonder if. Um, species living in areas that tended to have certain mineral concentrations or different chemistries tended to have, you know, higher androgens or estrogens. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a natural ebb and flow of that. Yeah, but you know what? Just remember we got the parrotfish, too, and they've been changing sex for a long time. Exactly. Yeah, so, so I wouldn't... And we thought we were new at it. Well, I think it just bears critical reading, folks. Oh, yeah, and not not to get all up in arms and worried about it. Read with a crow's eye about the way they're talking about difference. Now, definitely, pollution is no good for anyone, and they also found Prozac in fish brains. So, anyway, just think about it. Read with a critical eye, folks, and see if they're just saying, let's wipe out all diversity, and please don't let our tap water make us more diverse. That's it for tonight. You got it with a bird with a word. No Prozac in my brain. <laughs> we could tell. Thank you so much, Raven. A pleasure as always. And now it's time for the Gender Talk Gender News. Oh, we've never known of what's going on. Uh, and, you know, I have almost, I think I have nothing but good news this week. Can you believe that? Oh, well, I got two. two have you got some bad news, McKenzie? Well, I don't think it's bad. <laughs> it's just mixed to cloudy. So I definitely don't want to end on it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Gordine, do yours first. Okay, should I do my mixed to cloudy first? Sure, go ahead. Well, this is a sad one, but it's it's kind of good in some ways, too, because of the power that, that uh, she represented. Former Texas governor and feminist leader Ann Richards died on on Wednesday uh, after a six-month bout with uh, cancer. And as you know, Richards was the first female governor of Texas to win in her own right. And her whole work was focused on helping others that were usually ignored. And she did a lot for women and did a lot for uh, minorities. She was the co-founder of the National Women's Political uh, Caucus, and uh, she encouraged a lot of other women to run for office. And she lost her re-election bid in 94 to George Bush, who she never stopped uh, talking about in terms of uh, some of the One very the memorable speech, yeah. I remember, at the convention. She um, was, yes. She, but I think it backfired. Actually, I think it was it was a little too personalized, a little too. I think she was um, she was courageous, and I think absolutely. that she was a, a model oh, for women to speak out, and and she certainly empowered a lot of Didn't, people. And that, that wasn't taking anything away from her. Certainly, her voice will be absolutely. will be very missed. Absolutely. Did she say of George Bush Senior that he was born with a silver foot in his mouth or something like that? Uh, yeah, something like <laughs> very that. Good. Yes, that was it. Yeah. That's good. I wish yeah. I did. Oh yeah. Yeah, and she was the one that just called it out. She didn't care. She got up there and she told it. She did this whole poor George thing, didn't she? Yeah, and she was phenomenal. Yeah. See, we all remember because she gave such a memorable, oh, it was memorable, memorable talk. It, it was, she was it a was memorable, very memorable, very memorable person. Yeah. And again, I'm not sure that it was the most politically effective speech. Like I said, I think we it backfired some. The fact that we remember it doesn't necessarily mean that it swayed, swayed folks to vote against George W. But I think what happened is that the machine had already moved in, and no matter who said anything, they were going to get run over. Yeah. 
Yeah, it may not have made any difference, or it may have it may have made things closer than they would have been otherwise. I could be completely wrong on do that. Do you want to do one of yours, and then we'll go back to the other okay. one that I have? Um, interestingly enough, in Colorado, three state religious organizations have endorsed a ballot measure that will grant gay couples many of the legal rights and responsibilities of married couples. How about that? Is this in Colorado Among the Springs? groups backing the referendum is the Colorado Council of Churches, the largest Christian coalition in the state, representing a dozen Protestant denominations and close to a thousand churches, including United Methodists, American Baptists, and the United Church of Christ. So, uh, um, no, this is statewide. This is in Colorado awesome. Springs. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Interfaith Alliance of Colorado and Colorado Clergy for Equality in Marriage also announced support for referendum uh, for referendum one. Okay, so they're backing. I don't know. I'm reading this up now. Um, the, so until now, the highest profile group that endorsed the referendum has been was a Colorado uh, Springs-based focus on the family. Oh, okay. So they, um, uh, which has poured that hundreds of thousands of dollars into effort to defeat referendum one and win par- passage of the marriage amendment. So the highest profile Christian organization um, weighing in on the referendum to um, give gay couples legal rights was focused on the family, which was opposed to it, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. But yeah, now I, I an even larger group has endorsed it. Okay, so, well, that, that's good. Very I couldn't good imagine focus on the family coming around. Yeah. I need a scorecard. Yeah, well, it's simple. Lots of religious backing now for this, which is a good thing. Okay. There. Thank okay. you. Okay. And the uh, United Nations General Assembly uh, will open this week, and its new uh, president is a woman, and it's Sheikha Haya Rashid El Khalifa, and uh, she's a Bahrain lawyer and the first woman in decades to serve as the president of the General Assembly. And she says that reform is vital, and she's going to be instrumental in helping make the decision on who will uh, replace U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan. And many people are saying that no women are really going to be put up for for the, the position and that no women have ever served as Secretary General in the 61 years since the United Nations was uh, founded, even though the body's stated goal of achieving gender parity has been around since the year 2000. And even uh, Kofi Annan said that the role of women in decision-making is central to the advancement of women around the world and to the progress of humankind as a whole, and has expressed the view that the world is ready for a woman secretary-general. And women's unequal access to positions of power in the United Nations hinders progress toward all organizations' goals, including equality, development, and peace. Not to so. mention that it's silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Well, that's terrific. Great so, news there. Well, it's good that she's she's president, but not good news that we're not going to get a uh, U.N. secretary. Yeah. 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 But, you know, we take the steps we can get and, and applaud those at least. We need more. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, here's an interesting thing that's not gender-related. 
uh, a new law in California bans driving with your cell phone in your hand. That's in Santa Fe, New Mexico, too. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's, uh, uh, let's see, um, it says here, the F- California became the fourth state in the United States to ban motors from holding cell phones while driving uh, under legislation uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger signed just yesterday. Um, and it was a five-year campaign by De- Democratic Senator Joe Simishian to outlaw one of the most common distractions of California drivers. So anyway, this looks like, this seems like a really good thing. Get yourself a headset if you want to use your phone in the car. Get a headset. They if don't cost that much. One, yeah. If you can afford a cell phone, you can afford a head to headset. They're 20 bucks for a headset. Get yourself a headset and don't hold your phone in your hand while you're, while you're driving because, boy, on the way in here tonight, I remember there were a couple of drivers who were just kind of poking along and they were both glued to their cell phones and it sure was annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, you're all going to have to go that way. Hey, uh, the Cal- Colorado Division of Civil Rights has ruled that an employer violated the state's anti-discrimination laws when it fired an employee who was preparing to undergo gender reassignment surgery. Hmm. Colorado Dan- again. Yes, Danielle Cornwell uh, was let go because of a decline. Uh, supposedly, according to Intermountain, t- Intermountain Testing, um, the claim that, that uh, Danielle was let go because of a decline in business and a low performance rating, but Cornwell, who had worked there for 15 years, had recently informed her employer she was a transsexual, and uh, Intermountain's stated reasons were ruled as being pretextual, and they found that the ruling found that discri- found discrimination because no other employees during similar work were fired. So a good ruling from Colorado on discrimination. <clears throat> um, Dear Abby had a nice column. We've oh, had yeah. Dear Abby a couple of times in the Dear news. Abby, who really isn't the Dear Abby, but Abby's daughter. Abigail Van Buren. Yes, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, so uh, someone asks, should a transvestite be allowed to use the ladies' restroom? They're very upset at encountering a uh, man wearing a wig in a woman's restroom. And uh, Dear Abby responds very nicely. There's a difference between a transvestite and a transsexual. And I'm reading now, a transsexual is a person who feels trapped in the body of the wrong sex. Before a transsexual is allowed to have gender reassignment surgery, he or she must live for one year in the role of someone of the opposite sex. This includes using the restroom facilities of the opposite gender. It is not against the law, and it was no threat to you. That's good. Isn't that nice? Um, So, um, Dear Abby says, you know what? It's no threat to you if a trans woman uses the ladies' room. And that's absolutely true. Uh, never heard of a trans woman causing anybody any problem in the ladies' restroom. And finally, um, a historic resolution has been adopted overwhelmingly at the National Meeting of Latino-Latina Organizations. They've adopted a historic resolution calling for lesbian, gay, bi, and transgender rights equality and civil rights protection. It was adopted at the annual community gathering September 6th to 9th in Los Angeles, California. Mm. So a national uh, Latino, Latino community meeting has called for... Uh, uh, oh, and uh, let's see. The, the organizations um, promoting the resolutions included Bienestar, Equality California, Lambda Legal, and the Latino Coalition for Justice Los Angeles. So that's a great thing. So more support for trans rights. And some of the last bastions of uh, machismo are falling. Yes. 
But you know, it's not machismo does just not reside in the Latino community. We can't just locate it there. Oh, definitely. Not. I, no, no, no. I'm just. Yeah. I'm using it as a generic term. That certainly was not aimed Good. ethnically. I, I'm sure it wasn't, Hal. I was just. I, I was just mentioning that. I mean, poor white trash is a generalized term. I don't take it personally if it's applied to um, some other ethnic race, even though it's only mine. <laughs> so there. Yours, all yours. Yes. <laughs> all right. Speaking of ours, I think that does it for our gender news for tonight. And now it's time for the Gender Talk question of the week. And there we go. There we go. <laughs> and the question this week, let's let's follow up with the endocrine uh, since we were talking about it earlier. Lisa writes, how come there are not as many resources available in regard to more experienced transgender-friendly endocrinologists in Boston, but also around the United States? The reason I ask is because there are people in the community that need to immediately consult these endocrinologists. Unfortunately, what appears to be going on is that these well-known limited endos in many states are nearly impossible to see because of a rather large list of clients they currently see. I think she just answered her own question. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's other things going on. Uh, one one of the things that happens is when an endocrinologist says, yes, I will see transgender clients, oftentimes they find themselves suddenly deluged. Inundated. Um, with requests. And um, those re- the, that demand is not always... Um, it's not always, uh, let's see, not always... Desirable? Not, it, you know, transgender people are not necessarily always well-behaved, right. just like any other group of people. And any doctor that's suddenly swamped by a lot of traffic and a lot of calls for a particular kind of treatment um, is going to feel overwhelmed. And that is what happens uh, when someone declares um, that they will... Uh, when an endocrinologist says, I'll see trans people, um, suddenly they find themselves seeing folks who are demanding hormones, and some of those demanding hormones have not taken the reasonable steps to um, assure that um, that they are going to be... Uh, um, that they're going to be healthy and that they're going to uh, that they're um, going to be uh, taking care of themselves in their emotional state because their hormones will affect you emotionally, and people really need to be um, in therapy to be on hormones pretty much. It reminds me of a poem that I was reading at uh, Gender Crash, which was about hormones, and it was yeah. about being hormonally hot. A blaze of cocktails was one of one of the the, the lines in there, but they these are very powerful cocktails and sometimes really we are. don't we we really don't think about how how powerful they are when i uh was facilitating the support group in new mexico i knew when uh some of the folks in the support group were doing their own hormones but they were also getting some black market hormones as well and you knew because i'd get these calls and People were in tears, and they were just, you know, just yeah. really off the Richter scale. And I'd say, and the FTM for all did me. you have a little extra 
<laughs> your hormones. Well, I just need a little more because I wanted, you know, the the characteristics so much. So, yeah. which is understandable desire, but uh, it put folks on a roller coaster ride sometimes. Yeah, there's a tendency, especially when when one is entering transition or pre-transition, there's a tendency to really want to kind of go to town with the hormones, and uh, that can be very very damaging emotionally. That um, can put you on a real roller coaster, and uh, so it's really important to uh, undertake the use of hormones responsibly, which means having somebody outside of yourself that you're consulting with and who's advising you in your in your use of the hormones, and, and that means somebody, um, a psychologist or a therapist, somebody who's in that profession who can help you out at, at at least when you're getting started. I'm not saying that you have to always be seeing a therapist to be on hormones because I don't believe that. Um, but I think that it's important when you're starting hormones that you have some support because I found going on estrogen um, was a terribly depressing experience. I found the, the effect of estrogen it was exceedingly depressing. Um, I actually ended up staying out of work, I think, for a week. Just I was, I was basically sick for a week from the depressing effects of the estrogen. And um, Part of the problem was that um, I was prescribed for too large a dose too quickly. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, the hormones are so powerful that you really need to be careful um, with your dose, with changing your dose. Changing your hormone dose is, uh, is going to have a powerful effect on you, whatever you're doing. You and those around right you away. as well. Yeah. I, it certainly does affect, and, and when I took, I I only took birth control pills ever for, I think, six months in my life, and they made me so sick yeah. and so depressed, and I felt so outside of, <laughs> of, what did of you being say, alive. I said, I, I, I don't remember at this point. Oh, okay, sorry. sorry. Um, anyway, so um, perhaps that explains, perhaps that's part of the reason why there aren't more endocrinologists um, but perhaps we could uh, cultivate relationships with endocrinologists. And the good news is, though, there are some endocrinologists that specialize in trans care. That's right. And if in the Boston area, at least, there's a terrific resource for your finding medical help um, at the Mass Trans uh, Political Coalition website, masstpc.org, masstpc.org. If you go to the website and click on resources, you will find a listing of trans-friendly endocrinologists in Massachusetts, and uh, it's a great resource there. Uh, I'm told that the Compass FTM website also has an extensive listing of uh, help providers, service providers for the transgender community, so you might also check their website. And when the doses are right, when you're getting your liver checked, it can be it can be really helpful for a lot of folks. Oh, you got to get your liver checked. got to get your liver function checked, um, which is why you need to see an endocrinologist. Uh, when you're going on hormones, it's why they're the ones who do the prescribing because they're the ones who check, your, who do a blood test, check your your liver levels because hormones can kill you if uh, if you take them. It, you, um, you can develop serious liver problems, so you got to be careful. And you can send your questions to questions at gendertalk.com. Oh, you said questions this time. Did I? I <laughs> yeah, made it which plural. Is good. You did, but it works for floral. <laughs> Yay! All right. Anyway. Uh, Thank you for for sending your question, Lisa. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Now it's time for that feature from our correspondent overseas in the Netherlands. We talked a little bit about the Netherlands earlier. Um, Evelyn Snell and her Evelyn's Diary entry tonight is called Hair. And it goes like, it goes like this. 
Evelyn's Diary Follow the day-to-day ups and downs of a Dutch transsexual woman in her struggle with the world as it is. Episode 48, Hair. When you get the sex change operation, SRS, some of the skin that is now on the outside of your body gets transplanted to the inside. It is very important that there is no hair on that skin, because otherwise hair will be growing inside of you, where you can no longer reach it after the operation. In an SRS operation, they usually remove the hair on your genitals in a very simple and effective way. With a knife, they scrape along the inside of your skin. This removes all the follicles forever. For some reason, they don't do that at the gender team in the VU hospital in Amsterdam. So I expected they would first do a laser treatment or an electrical depilation in the hospital. Well, they don't. They don't lift a finger to help their patients with that. It makes me wonder what they do with a patient who is brought in with an appendicitis. Do they send him to a hairdresser to have his belly shaved before they operate him? I know, I know, I am being sarcastic, but I was very disappointed to find out there was yet another hurdle between me and my operation. So I set out to find myself a new skin therapist who was willing and able to help me with this rather intimate problem. The lady who did the laser hair removal on my face is now living 100 miles away from me, so that was not an option. It took me several weeks, and in the end it was my spouse Julia who found me one. Last month I've had an intake interview with her, where I have explained what I need to have done, and she will do it. I think she is a very good therapist, because one of the first things she said is that depilation is not necessary, because they can easily do this for me during the operation. It looks like she is more knowledgeable than the people at the hospital. So I am going to see her for my first treatment today. I am very glad you cannot see me right now, because I have also asked her to work on the remaining hair on my face. I haven't shaved since Wednesday. It feels terrible. I have always hated these hairs on my face. Hopefully she can help me get rid of these as well. That would certainly improve the quality of my life. If you look at it that way, these visits with the skin therapist may well turn out to be a blessing in disguise. For Genetalk, this was Evelyn Snell from the Netherlands. Thanks for listening. I hope to join you again in two weeks. And that's Evelyn's Diary, and a, a bi-weekly feature here on Gender Talk Radio, and there'll be one more Evelyn's Diary in two weeks. Uh, you're listening to Gender Talk on WMBR in Cambridge, and now it's time for our first guest, Gordine. 
That's right. We have Mika Gordon. Uh, Mika is a transgender activist, artist, educator, consultant, writer, and the regional editor of Santa Fe for the Normal Heart newspaper. Uh, Mika is also the founder and director of Sure Foundation in Santa Fe. Also uh, was the founder and the director of the Transgender Support Group. And Mika, who we spoke to before on Gender Talk, uh, also was a school teacher who transitioned in 2000 and kept her position, one of the early folks able to, to do so. And when we spoke to Mika, I was talking to Mika on the phone, when we spoke with her before on Gender Talk, possibly, um, she was um, going by Randy Michelle Gordon. Is that right, Mika? Yes, that's correct. All right. Yeah. So that, that, that would explain my, my poor memory there. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really great, thanks. How are you guys? Good. Welcome to Gender doing Talk. Doing good. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Always a pleasure. Now, Mika, you are uh, currently getting ready to run for political office in That's New Mexico. Correct. In 2008. Starting to plan now. There have been several people here who have asked me to run, uh, considering um, you know, hearing some of the speeches and all the work that I do the passionate work that I do to try to help uh, obtain, to obtain equality for everyone, not a select few. So, uh, yeah, so we're starting to go through the beginning stages of planning now. Excellent. And this would be a run for Senate or Congress? Are you? Senate or Congress. Um, It's just a matter of finding the niche and and seeing where I would fit better. and Governor Richardson, who is a, a very dear friend of mine, um, we will talk probably, uh, to, I'll get some advice from him, probably after the November election when he's in office again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, other than that, um, we're just working at it, and um, I'm just uh, doing so many other different things in the interim. Well, and you, you have been a jeweler for how many years? I'd say almost 40 years now. That's right. Oh, that's a key to Gordine's heart. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and you also, you also do sculpting, too, with metal, don't you? Yeah, I've been doing gold and silversmithing, like I said, for about 40 years. Amazing. And I have a studio here in my two-car garage, which I converted. And I do 20-foot kinetic sculptures with mirrors. That's awesome. Yeah, and I have one on my property that I'm that I did when I first came out here, basically. And my outdoor sculpture studio uh, is behind a 3,000 square foot coyote fence, along with my Zen garden. Oh, that that sounds wonderful. At one time, I had uh, started taking lessons in arc welding. And I, I was just fascinated with it, and and had bought my gloves and had bought my torch, but I never, I never totally got there. But I had all these ideas of what I wanted to do in terms of sculpting. Um, Mika, having been an artist for so many years, talk to us about uh, how art has has informed and and how it's influenced your life. Well, art. I first got my introduction to art and um, the beauty of nature from my mother, um, who's still alive and uh, who I adore. Um, And it's basically, it grounds me. It gives me a a tremendous amount of substance when I'm dealing with nature and the fact that I'm living out here in Santa Fe. um, It's also extremely um, influential on some of my work. 
I've always geared it towards nature and the study of nature, and a lot of my work has that uh, basic um, design quality. Oh, excellent! But yeah. uh, it's uh, it's a it's a wonderful outlet, and like I said, it's it's given me. I'm not religious at all, and I'm very um, spiritual. Uh, the uh, old ways for the American Indians. Uh, that kind of spirituality and um, blessed be. What? Excuse me. Blessed be. Blessed be. <laughs> That's how. And I tell you, it has been wonderful um, giving myself the opportunity as a free thinker in this in this country and in this world. Um, it has opened my eyes to so many different things and. You know, I just said I'm going to forget everything that society spoke to me and tried to teach me, and I'm going to learn from the beginning. So it was like a spiritual guide, you know, of life coming out here. Um, I mean, you know, after I retired, um, after 9-11, which I volunteered for eight hours at the Javits Center. Mm-hmm. When it happened, I was teaching, and I went down to volunteer. And I needed to get away eventually into some place that would be extremely spiritual for me. Um, but I had started the Sure Foundation when I was beginning to transition for that the year they gave me off, and, and that was the historical precedent that I set. Is the fact that so that that was started in New York then? Uh, yeah, I had okay. started the Sure Foundation in New York and was getting very active in New York. Uh, while I had the time off, while they gave me the year off to transition. Um, and that, like I said, that was the historical precedent-setting um, uh, 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 thing that had, had gotten me really into all of the um, uh, activism and advocacy. What, uh, Randy, what, uh, so you said you moved... Mika. Mika, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the uh, old show. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, that came to you. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about how that came to you in a dream yeah. to change your yeah, name. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, you, you were last on Gender Talk. I found the old show uh, on back in August of 2001. We talked about your transition at, at school in New York. Yeah, that was before my surgery. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, tell us, how, tell us about... How you got from there to where you are today? We we know you're fueled by um, a desire for a more spiritual life. Um, how did you end up leaving New York and changing your name? Well, my name is still Randy Michelle Gordon. I mean, that is my give, that is my legal name, Randy Michelle being one name. Um, uh, then I when I came out here, um, I guess within a year or so, I had a dream about my grandfather. Uh, my late grandfather, who uh, is of um, Russian heritage, I'm Russian and Turkish, and um, I don't rec- recall it being anything of a significant dream. But I mean, I, I dream about sometimes once in a while, and and I woke up, and the first thing that was in my head was this name Mika, and I said Mika, and I kept on repeating it. I said that's pretty. I like that Mika. And I said, Mika Gordon, Mika Chica. <laughs> so I was doing all these things. And then I looked it up, and it means gentle and kind in Russian. So I firmly believe that my grandfather um, gave it that name to me spiritually. Um, I don't think he would have ever understood what this was all about, the whole journey. Um, but I believe in his own way, spiritually, he sees what I've been doing and 
um, he found it to be, I guess, a good thing. And uh, ever since then, it's been Mika. And um, uh, I mean, my my legal name is Randy Michelle, and my license, passport, uh, that kind of thing. But um, Mika has been something that I've, people have been calling me now for years, and say my visa card is Mika. And was it was it hard to leave your teaching job in New York? It was very difficult to leave my teaching job in New York. Unfortunately, um, there was nothing there that would have kept me from continuing. Uh, the only thing that I had to deal with was some very deep emotional problems and subonetary problems. Um, I think what the um, what put me over the edge as far as leaving uh, was the fact of my volunteerism at um, at you know, well at the Javits Center for eight hours. Um, I think that uh, created a great deal of post-traumatic stress disorder, and it was just horrific uh, to work in that area. Uh, a lot of people working together, but it was just awful, you know, to see people walking around like zombies holding pictures of their daughters and their sons and loved ones and so on. Have you seen this one? Have you seen that one? I mean, it was just, it was surreal. It was like I was in a dream, a very horrible dream. Bad and, Twilight Zone episode. Well, yeah, you could say that. It was just awful. Mm-hmm. And um, I came back to my apartment, and I just kind of collapsed on my bed. And I didn't realize what that experience had done to me emotionally. Physically, not so bad, but emotionally, um, it I, I was a wreck. And um, few people had asked me, I had even mentioned this to my sister at one time it's going down there she goes why you know and i said because i can't stand just sitting home i mean this was like 20 minutes away from me and um i was teaching at the time is when i first heard it and one of my students ran out of the room and didn't know where he went and i said where did he go and uh he said he they thought after listening to what was progressing on the radio um he said uh the father worked at one of the towers, and, I, and then I went out, and he was crying. And this is, of course, when I came back. Um, and I just put my arm around him and tried to console him and then had some male teachers who came in to take him upstairs to the office. But the whole, the whole concept, the whole thing was not so real. <laughs> you know, like I said, it was like, a, like you say, an episode of The Twilight Zone. You know, and it was just so. You know, I mean, this was like and, and how did that personified. And so, how did you move from that to leaving New York? Well, after you know, getting my act together and um, uh, you know, going through some very personal problems that I had along with that. Um, how, I, how long? How long after your transition was this? Oh, uh, let me see. I left here. I, my transition. My surgery. Um, was on June 6th, which I, of course, dubbed uh, V-Day as opposed to D-Day. Of? And that was 2001. Uh, I left here in August, and by the time I left, it was, uh, let me see, 2001, 2002. Uh, yeah, it was in, I think, 2002 is when I left. It was, I left earlier than I really wanted to leave, but... Um, the, my capacity um, for um, staying on course and focusing was was pretty um, pretty well. Um, uh, uh, how can I say? It was just 
is there any chance that your transition and or your surgery uh, contributed to that? I mean, um, no. I, I, I struggle with gender issues, and, and, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, how much of this... Um, uh, you know how mu- how much of my struggle is, and, and I struggle now with this neck injury, and I wonder how much how much of each contributes, and I, and I don't really know that. Um, I would have to say no, it did it did not. I mean, I knew the reality of coming back. I knew the reality of what to expect. Uh, for the most part, um, I was welcomed back um, by the majority of the parents and the students when I came back. And they were okay with you staying there? And it Absolutely. Was you, it was your choice to leave? It was my choice. I mean, when I, I, I always said that when I knew that I just had lost the capacity to really teach and to move forward with all these things, um, I, I knew I had to leave. And, and basically it was just a matter of, you know, I love my students and I did not want to give them you know, like half a person. So I decided that I needed to get some help, some very serious help, and uh, it had nothing to do with the transition. This is what I explained. This was a lot of past things that I had gone through, and I think the catalyst for all of that is when I went down to to help at the supply depot. Yeah, clearly. So... Um, so you moved to New Mexico. How did you choose where to be in New Mexico, and, and what do you do for a living? Well, I chose New Mexico because about, oh, I guess around 10 years ago, I came out here with my son who wanted to go see, uh, go to Roswell to see some aliens. Oh, I love it. <laughs> exactly what he said. Because, you know, X-Files was pretty popular. Yeah. He had X-Files everything. And so he really wanted to come out, so we, the both of us went out, you know, and uh, headed down to Roswell, and we spent a good time just going from bottom to top and having, having a glorious time. Uh, and then after that, it was just a matter of, because uh, I taught summer school also, so, you know, I was one of those unusual teachers who weren't the ones who supposedly work only 10 months. You know, when people say, oh, you're a teacher, it's just 10 months. I said, I worked the summers for 17 years, um, also teaching um, studio art. So during the time that I had between my summer school ending and then the regular uh, uh, job during the year, it was about two weeks. And so... I was going through some um, some difficult times, you know, and basically separating from my ex and so forth. And I just decided I'm just going to go out there and uh, investigate it. Because when I was out there with my son, something was just saying, this is home to you and to me. And the the sense that I got, the mystical or spiritual feeling I got, was just overwhelming. And I knew that it was either going to be Taos, or Santa Fe and not Albuquerque because it's too much like a city. And, um, you know, my heart, mind, and soul chose Santa Fe, and um, um, I have never regretted that decision, and I never will. I I, I live at 7,300 feet above sea level and have views of mountains for hundreds of miles, and, and I'm at peace, and I have tranquility in my life, and I feel that I worked very hard. Uh, and everybody in my family as well as my friends said, you know, Mika, you deserve it. And, you know, I was nice of them to tell me, but I, I knew in my heart that this is where I wanted to be. So 
dog eventually. Of course, I moved out here, and I got all my arrangements for all my doctors and everything. I, I basically researched a lot of stuff before my surgery, so when I had my surgery, everything would be in place. And that's one of the things that I try to teach to some of those who are going through transition uh, through my consulting practice. But uh, as far as, you know, what I do for a living, um, I'm, I'm retired. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a good laugh. <laughs> I'm retired. But I, I tell everybody, I said, you know, I said, you have to go into my closet and look at the bottom of my shoes and you won't even see a speck of moss. Um, I make a living. I get a pension, um, uh, and and um, you know, I mean, my incentive to retire was given to me, like all the other teachers who retired at that year. I have a hundred percent medical for life, and uh, a lot of things that came my way. Oh, nice. Yeah. So a lot of things that came my way. You know, I fought for. I'm a tenacious broad. And, um, you know, they weren't going to leave me out of anything. Um, but it was my choice at that time to leave because I couldn't give the quality of teaching that I have given my students for almost 30 years. And once I, I knew that was taking place, I said, no. I said, I can't do this to the kids. And I, I personally, I need to go get some help to help me get through a lot of the personal problems I was dealing with. But nothing with transition. I think the most beautiful thing that I would just like to mention when I went back was that <clears throat> when the uh, parent-teacher conference came about, that had gotten me a little scared because I wasn't too sure how they would receive me, although the only thing I had heard at the time um, was that there were maybe four or five parents who were objecting to have their children in my classroom which, again, if, if you, you know, have a good sense of reality, you realize that there are a lot of people out there who are unprogressive, and I, I don't call them ignorant. I don't like that word, so I use unprogressive quite often. Um, and I never knew these parents, and I never knew their children. The parents and the children who knew me knew my relationship with that community and that I loved their kids and I loved teaching there. And uh, that was that. And, and then when the parents came in, um, each class of parents that came in, uh, basically at the end of each session, the, the mothers would come up and hug me and, and say, we're so happy you're back. And I had the fathers shake my hand and say, we're very glad you're back. The kids couldn't wait to see you again. And I mean, it was that kind of reception that I received. And you couldn't ask for anything better than that. And I left there, you know, like floating, you know, to my car. And I just felt... I just felt so wonderful and and warm. Um, that that that's really heartening to to hear that and and that it concluded that way. And you still do teach students, don't you? You, you yes. oh, take no, on I, some students. Yes, I do. Uh, I teach um, gold and silversmithing. I teach uh, sculpture, uh, and you know, I still keep my hand in it. Uh, I was when I first came out here before my transition. Uh, I went to the uh, University of New Mexico, and I spoke to the chairman there, and they had just about finished a new jewelry studio for the college. And, mm. and he saw my portfolio, was very impressed, and he said, um, uh, we're thinking of, we're looking for a chairperson, and uh, I think that you'd do very well. And I said, well, that's great, but I was still teaching at the time, so I, I couldn't accept that. 
But even going to the college and teaching, which has they have wonderful courses and stuff, but I love being my own boss, um, and I also love giving students a one-on-one um, uh, one-on-one instruction with my kids uh, or adults or, stu- or or young people because in two hours' time they get like a four-hour studio and it's just there are no distractions. It's just me and them, and they learn very, very quickly. And I get pleasure out of that, but at least I still keep my hand in teaching and design work. I mean, um, I designed different things for different people. Uh, my most recent design was an engagement ring for a young lady. It's a very unusual, eclectic type engagement ring. Um, do you, so, can you describe do you have any it? Pictures of your jewelry you can send us that we could put up on our on the site. It'll be a dollar each. <laughs> <laughs> Now, anyway, great promoter. Yeah, I'm, I'm the yeah, I'm Mika King, Don King's daughter. <laughs> now, seriously, I have some pieces I can send you. Sure, um, not a problem. Tell uh, us about describe for us when you say an unusual design. Uh, describe it. Well, she wanted something that was very personal to her, her husband, and her child. And so what she did, she came to me because I do one of a kind pieces. I'm not a production artist. I take a lot of pride in my imagination and my creativity. So she came to me and she said, I have this brooch for my grandmother and, you know, it's just costume jewelry, but it was hers and there are, they have these um, pear-shaped, um, they almost, I can't have to describe them, but they were very like, like a, a brownish type of faceted stone. And she said, I would like to include that. I would like to include a piece of turquoise and I also would like to include this black pearl. Uh, and mm. these basically represented her family. Um, the um, pointed pear-shaped was representing her husband, I guess for, um, for, I guess for obvious um, phallic representation. Um, and uh, the pearl was for her, and the little piece of turquoise was for her little boy. And she wanted it incorporated into a ring. And so what I did was I showed her different examples. She wanted something very fluid um, and almost molten. I showed her some of the drop casting pieces that I've done, and she really loved that. So I, I had a few drop cast pieces that I had, and I, <clears throat> I even attempted to do some more, and then showed it to her. And she was involved pretty much with the process. Uh, she said, you wouldn't mind if I come over and watch you work. And I said, not at all. I said, you know, we're giving birth, basically, to something new and something wonderful. And um, she participated in watching me and also doing a little bit of um, um, a coloration on the ring. That's nice. And, and I finished it and set all everything up for her. And I think the most thing that she was, she was very impressed with it and very pleased. And it was exactly what she was looking for. But I think she was more impressed with the fact that when I had her first come over and try on the um, the ring and the mounting and everything, she was impressed that I knew her ring size without even measuring her finger. Oh, you can do that. That's that's really good. Usually I can by taking a look at a person's finger. I can. And I just told her it was just, you know, the spirits guiding me or something. You there know? you go. Well, and certainly the spirits must be guiding you in, in some other directions, too. Now, you work with PFLAG as well? 
I am the transgender um, um, representative for PFLAG here in Santa Fe. That's great. And you're also, uh, you've worked with GLSEN? I was, yeah. I was a um, committee member for GLSEN in the Hudson Valley region uh, for quite a while. And um, I am actually proud to say, I mean, the fact of the matter is, when GLSEN was, if you, I'm sure you, of course, you know what GLSEN is. Sure. All right. So when they were first going around to various schools, and, of course, they had um, uh, various types of lectures and workshops and so on, which I was very much involved with in, um, they kept on going into the schools, and they kept on saying, we're, to, we're here to teach tolerance. And I kept on saying to them, even then, because I had just rearranged my whole brain, and I said, tolerance is such a, a, a subliminal word for discrimination. Mm. I really think of it, you're not teaching tolerance. You're having people tolerate you. I said, look it up in the dictionary, and you'll get more of a definition. So I said, I think that you really need to teach respect, and that has been, that's how I got the, um, the uh, SURE Foundation, basically. And SURE stands for what? What, are, what do the letters stand for? A sensitivity, understanding, respect through education. Excellent, excellent. Oh, and then Glisten, they changed their policy, uh, and they changed it to teaching respect. And I'd like to think that I certainly had a contributing uh, part of having them do that. I'm currently trying to get the Southern Poverty Law Center to change their practice of going around teaching tolerance. I just They just sent me something, and I always send them back one of my quotes you know, about not teaching tolerance but teaching respect. Yeah, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, unfortunately, Mika, we are running out of time. Uh, we just have uh, a minute here. Uh, could you? Is there anything else that we haven't covered? I know a lot, but <laughs> that you'd like to say? Well, not really. I mean, I, I have started a transsexual educational and consultation practice here in Santa Fe, uh, to help people through their transition. Um, it's basically consultation. I only give suggestions. Um, and the only thing I can really say, you know, to finish this off, and of course there is so much to say, so you'll all have to wait for my book when it finally comes out, perhaps next year. Okay. Five years in the making. <clears throat> the one thing I can say to all my brothers and sisters out there is this. When I have people coming up to me and saying, Mika, am I a transsexual? And then my response is, I don't know who the hell you are. Um, I don't say that out of disrespect or being mean. I just say to them, how am I supposed to know that? I said, if you are going through a transitional process, I say to them, you must know to the core of your soul that this is who you should have been. This is was your true gender, whether it being man or woman. I said, because if you're going into this, you know, just thinking about other things, um, or maybe I am and I'm going to have the surgery, this is a monumental and life-changing decision, as we all know. So the only thing I can say to my, uh, the listeners and to all the people who I deal with, and I've said this time and again, you must feel this to the core of your soul, knowing that you were different and like I was at the age of five, but not knowing the magnitude. But uh, just having to know that you have been feeling this way just about forever. Um, and then, of course, the psychological and medical aspects of, right. of all that stuff. That's very important. Well, thank you. Brett, thank you so much for being our guest on Gender Talk. We really appreciate I'm it. Here.
anytime. All righty. Well, Mika, thank you, and, and thanks for the work you're doing. I said doing. Brett. I'm sorry, Mika. Oh. <laughs> I'm so Hey, that's okay. You're very welcome. And Nancy was thinking ahead to our next guest. Is is what had happened yeah, there? But sorry. I I so appreciate sorry, you Nika. taking the time telling us about the art and the activism and the intersection there too. Thanks. It's a it's a new career. Well, it has been ever since my before my transition and now for the rest of my life. Excellent. Excellent. Alrighty. All right, guys. Good Take luck care. with the politics. Bye. Thanks. I will. Thanks. I hope so. All right. Nancy, 12 years of doing the show, and you're still getting gender pronouns wrong. Didn't you learn anything? Oh, God. It's hopeless. It's hopeless. Well, now, see, Mika, Mika will talk about um, male and female or man and woman, but when we get to Brett, Brett is going to talk about identities that go beyond the, the male-female gender barrier into gender queer. All right. Well, so. we'll look forward to that. First, we have some announcements to do. That's right. And let's see. What's coming up? What I have coming up? On the Gender Talk community event calendar, first of all, tomorrow night in Cambridge is a radical queer meeting, a safe space for individuals to be open about their identity, to meet others, and to empower themselves through performance discussion and organizing. That includes an open mic. It happens at 7 p.m. at 45 Mount Auburn Street in Cambridge, also known as the Zine Library, D- Democracy Center, Harvard Social Forum, etc. It's free and open to all identified queers. So I guess if you're I- queer identified, you're welcome there. And let's see, um, the 8th International Drag King Community Extravaganza is coming up in Austin, Texas, October 19th to 22nd. It's been held in cities across the USA and Canada, and now it's coming to Austin. It's truly one-of-a-kind event, amazing opportunity for Texas GLBT people. It's the largest non-competitive gathering of drag kings and other gender performers, their fans, and the academics and artists who study them. This year, we're featuring they're featuring Leslie Feinberg as keynote speaker, a huge performance showcase at the Palmer Events Center, and even a gender playhouse area for children and youth. For more information... Uh, let's see. Hello for more information. I'm looking at the announcement. I don't see a way to get more information here. Um, but you can email, um, Allison Stelly, the media director, at media at idkeaustin.com. I-D-K-E, as an in international drag king, uh, extravaganza. idkeaustin.com. Uh, or call 512-507-0919. And let's see, I've got an announcement here about Boston Medical Center um, is going to be doing some two days of HIV testing, but unfortunately I'm unopen, unable to open the attachment that came with it. Um, so I have to say, Jake, if you're out there listening, give us a call so you can give us the information over the phone. We'll watch and see if the phone rings. We'll pick it up. Um, in the meantime, uh, also coming up, um, let's say I have to tell you that the October meeting for the Mass Trans Political Coalition has been changed. This is very important. From Monday the 9th to Monday the 16th. So if you're an MTPCer or if you're a community member or anybody else who wants to attend the next MTPC, Mass Transgender Political Coalition, open meeting, it's been changed from the second Monday to the third Monday for October only. So don't miss that. Of course, coming up in... Um, just a few weeks now in October is the Fantasia Fair. A lot of folks be looking forward to that. It's a great opportunity for first-timers um, to get out there. It was my coming out, and it's been coming out for a lot of folks. Uh, for more information, go to FantasiaFair.org. That's October 15th through the 22nd. Um, let's see. And uh, 
I think, uh, oh, I should uh, also mention coming up in Worcester, <clears throat> excuse me, on Friday, October 22nd through the 30th, Transcending Boundaries. It's um, a conference of PFLAG and trans and uh, GLBT folks. For more information, go to transcendingboundaries.org, transcendingboundaries.org. And uh, I think that's all I have for announcements for tonight. Yep, that'll do it. Uh, we're ready to move along to our next guest, Rudine. Oh, it's with pleasure that we uh, welcome back Brett Jenny Beeman. And uh, Brett Jenny is the director of the Stonewall Center at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, a researcher and writer who has done a lot of work in the area of uh, transgender education and beyond. Brett Jenny has edited or co-edited five books, uh, journal issues, including Queer Studies, a Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Trans gender anthology creating a place for ourselves lesbian gay and bisexual community histories and most recently a special issue of the journal of gay and lesbian issues in education on trans youth brett jenny is currently working on what will be the largest study of transgender identity development in the United States and is here tonight to uh, give us some glimpses into that study and more. Welcome back to Gender Talk, Britt. Jenny, how are you doing tonight? Thanks. Good evening. Oh, great. Um, how is the study going? Where, where are you in it now? Well, we finished collecting the data back in February Excellent. and since then have been slogging through trying to tabulate and make sense of it all. We had almost 3,500 participants in the survey portion and wow. more than 400 in the interview portion. That's phenomenal. So you can imagine the amount of work that entails to try to go through all of those and code each of the interviews and tabulate the results from the, the survey and then to figure out what it all means. How do, you, how do you study something as complex as transgender identity development? Well, we're looking at it as both uh, umbrella as transgender as well as breaking it down to how people identified in various places in the gender spectrum, you might say. Sure. So that we're going to look at how different groups identified, how different people who let's say, might identify as being um, trans women or um, women with trans pasts, and to F might feel, in looking at that in comparison to F to M's or trans men or, or men with trans pasts, and doing those kind of comparisons to look at differences of, of gender identity as well as Age differences is also really important, I think, as well, because we could see clear generational differences. So you're going to look to correlate um, correlate uh, among the various uh, characteristics of the people that you're studying? Right, and, and also look at, look, look at similarities and differences and try to come up with some critical, what I'm calling um, milestones or life moments in the different groups. I don't want to develop any kind of a stage model because I think it is far too complex. All the identities are far too complex to come up with stage models, but looking at different key moments that people in a group generally experience that are considered to be um, important in, in their identity development as trans people. 
Now, you mentioned, uh, Brett Jenny, that there you noticed an age difference in terms of identity. Sure. And I know that you've still got a lot of information to to work on and, and analyze. Could you kind of give us a flavor of some of the things that you're seeing there? Sure. The mean age of the 3,500 or so people was 45 okay. years. Um, but that varied widely. The cross-dressers, male-identified, male-body cross-dressers, actually male-body cross-dressers, were 53 years old. Mm, um, okay. So a bit older than that. And the genderqueer participants, as you might imagine, were a lot younger, 27 sure. years old. So we're, we're seeing some clear differences there. Also, when people began to take on the label transgender, to think they might be transgender, we see that younger people do so at relatively younger ages. Now, of yes. course, there is some skewing there because, obviously, if, if they're young, they don't have much time to have I, taken on that identity. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been part of the survey. Sure. So who knows, you know, if, if we were to, to do... The, the survey in 20 years, there might be people today who would be out then who aren't out now as transgender. So it's it skews it a bit, but we do see that um, people generally, the younger they are, the more likely they are to identify as transgender and to have met other trans people in that process. One of the surprising findings to me was that two-thirds of the people in the, the interviews that I did came out as trans before they actually met someone else who identified as trans, ah. which really, I think, shows the historical isolation of, of many people in the community, that yeah. they did not meet anyone until later in life. Yeah, definitely so. I mean, if we go back historically even and look at the support groups uh, before the support groups even became sort of consciousness-raising uh Groups sometimes people. I remember in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the 1980s, people saying, "I think I'm the only one here." And then another person would come in, and and it was like, "I don't think there's anyone else in New Mexico," you know. And it's it was that real sense of isolation. And here's where I think the internet has been such a a boon to the community, because for almost all of the age groups that we looked at, the internet was critical for them to both learn about a transgender identity and to meet other trans people. So we're seeing that people who are 18 to 22 are using the net, but also people in their 60s are using the net. And obviously there's quite a a difference there in terms of the net is is so new. That means that the people who are now in their 60s who are using the net to meet other people haven't met other people until they were in their 40s or or 50s. Sure, sure. And and in terms of the, uh, how would you make the distinction between the the term gender queer or transgender? And I mean, do you, do you see them segueing together, or what? We we gave people the opportunity both to identify themselves as well as to answer questions that, that describe their identities. And it's interesting that that people use labels in different ways. And we actually, for the larger survey, are going to kind of combine some labels. We asked people, of, of course, you know, what gender they were assigned at birth, what gender they identify as at now, and we offer people the choice of, of male, female, um, transgender with an explanation of what that meant, 
mm-hmm. or part of the trans community you consider yourself to be part of, or a different identity, and then people can explain that as well. And we found that people answer that question in a variety, a variety of ways. That some people who were, were born of one gender simply said, well, now I'm this other gender. I'm male or I'm female now. Mm-hmm. Other people said, well, I'm, I'm a trans man or I'm a trans woman. Um, some people said that they're transgender um, but have gone through and had surgery. So it's interesting to see how different people have have taken the language and kind of molded it to what they want to, to use it for. And it, it shows to me just the the complexity of, of the whole language that the community uses and that there isn't common definitions of, of terminology, which is why in the research we use, you know, different labels like M to F, um, trans women, women with trans past, as a way to describe this group of people because different people will use different ways of, of describing themselves. Certainly. And you you had mentioned... Um in, in an interview that I read, that trans youth are opening up gender possibilities that didn't exist before. Do you think that they are different gender possibilities? And if so, how how do you see them as different? I think they're different in a way in that a lot of genderqueer people don't want to be boxed in, don't want to be seen as either male or female or, or moving towards being male or female. So I think it does force open... Um, new possibilities and requires new thinking in, in terms of you know, being in higher education. Sure. One of the things that I push for uh, when I give talks or, or consult with different colleges is the need to have forms that have more than simply male or female as options. No, that's Im- that, that's that people aren't going to necessarily want to choose one or the other, or that you need to have programs that that don't focus just on transsexuality and think you've done the trans community as an uh, inclusive program. So really, and also the whole issue with residence halls and, and how we, how do we address the issue of someone who, who doesn't want to be seen as male or female in an environment that's very sex-segregated and very sex-divided. Uh, and so where would they be able to stay then? Well, that, that's, that's the and question. that's a real issue, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to get colleges to, to recognize that it's important to to take the student at what they identify as, you know, regardless of what might be under their clothing. That if a student is presenting and identifying as as a given gender, um, regardless of how they may have been born, how they their body may may look uh, underneath, that they need to respect that and and to treat that student accordingly. Brad, are, th- are there any surprises in what you're saying in terms of the results? Oh, there are a whole bunch of. Of surprises, I mentioned a couple about the the importance of the internet. I think another surprise that that stands out to me. In, in that that's a that's a surprise. The importance of well, the internet. Well, for, for people who are older, it was a surprise to me to see that even people who were in their sixties were relying upon the internet as their primary tool of of communication. Now, of course, that also is biased by the fact this was an internet survey, so we're going to reach primarily. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you know who are who are. Were web savvy, but uh, just slightly biased. Yeah, no. but so, still, it was, it was really interesting to me that that was more important than than support groups or or friends and acquaintances or or going out. I, as, yeah, as I don't think you connect. can. I don't think you can even draw that conclusion then from an internet survey, really. Well, we can we can see it's an important characteristic, but yeah, we have to 
point out that, that there's inherent bias that, that's there with that, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been possible to do a survey of, of this nature, of this size, by by using simply uh, right. other methods. So what, so what, other, th- what other things, what other surprises, if any? Um, I think uh, another surprise that, that I have seen in the work I was just doing out today and looking at some of the numbers is the, the lack of any cross-dressers um, who are younger than, than the mid-30s. Now that's interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. In my yeah. experience, um, it, and in, that may not mean that there aren't cross-dressers who are younger than Oh, no, 30. I, I've met many myself. Yeah, what it, may, it might mean that cross-dressers don't generally come out until they're, after thir- until they're over 30. Right. And I think that's, that's one of the, the, the and findings that we might, you know, be, be talk about is, you know, what does this mean? I think that that's only part of it. But I yeah. also do see that I think that, that may not, it may not be the identification that, it, that many younger people use for themselves. Yeah, it's it's hard to know one way or the other. Is there any other? Are there any other questions you ask? Or is there is there any other information you might have um, to help us get at that one? Because that's um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have uh, called myself a crossdresser when I was uh, younger than thirty. I never would have answered a survey. I never would have conceded to placing myself in that category. I had not given up my quest for normalcy mm-hmm. mm. and. Um, it wasn't until much later that I was able to, that I finally said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I give up. Um, it's you know it's time. So you sort of cling to the to the dreams that have been implanted in you by the society that says you know you can get rich and you can have all these good things if you do it this way. And then it's not until after you've tried doing it that way for a while you realize oh that's a bunch of BS and uh, it's time to start living my own life. And then uh, you say okay, so I'm willing to identify as this thing that is pretty much denigrated and laughed at, but it's true for me. Um, uh, as opposed, I mean, even today, you know, sure you have um, young kids who are identifying as gender queer, but there are kids who are who are openly rebelling against society. But you're still going to have a population of kids who are not ready to openly rebel until they've had some more experience of trying to sort of make it work by the prescribed norms. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your own experience, Brett, and, and how, uh, Brett, Jenny, how you identify? I identify as, as genderqueer. I okay. was, was assigned male at birth. I don't really identify as male, but have decided that... How old are you, Brett? Forty. Okay. Oh, you're an old genderqueer. I'm an old genderqueer. That's <laughs> <laughs> not old. Nancy, Brett, Jenny's still young. <laughs> of course. But uh, Compared to you and me. <laughs> but I decided for my reasons not to, to go the surgical or even to take hormones route, um, which is also a finding, too, of that I found interesting. I didn't find it surprising, but I think other people may, is the number of people who identify as transgender, transsexual, who are not taking hormones or not having surgery? And this this is this is really interesting. And we know some folks that have taken hormones, and and we've talked with Holly Boswell on the the mm-hmm. program before, and who decided, uh, being uh, in her in her fifties, to stop taking the hormones. Right. And it really bold 
bold move. And so there, there are a lot of people who are just, you know, why, why, either, is, that, why is that bold? Well, because a lot of people, I think, would be very afraid to do that. And I think Holly has kind of always stood up against the grain. Holly yeah, said, against the norm. Sure. He said no surgery. Holly said, uh, you know, I don't want to take hormones anymore because I want to just know what my body's like at, you know, this age. And I, I want it to, yeah, okay. to have okay. as much energy and, and everything as it can. And even though, you know, I might like some of the effects of the hormones, I want to I want to stop for a little bit. And, uh, well, not a little bit. Holly has stopped, stopped yeah. and just see, you know, uh, this is me, and I can live with it, and it can be another kind of space. It doesn't have to be one way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also surgery, too. Only 23% of the trans women had had surgery mm-hmm. to the, at the time that we did the survey, which, you know, is extremely low. That's right. And, of course, among the trans men, it was almost no one had had bottom surgery. Right. Which, is not, which again, I don't find surprising. It's quite well, in terms of the, the technology for it and, and some of the difficulties that happen with it. Sure. You said 23% of the trans women who responded to your sur- for survey had had surgery? Right. And, of course, some of that's also affordability, too. Exactly. The, for the, class. The survey was aimed at transsexuals or transgender people? Transgender people. So I'm just talking about th- those then who I would have, as I would have, women. I would have thought 23% would be a very high number. For of That's much higher than I would have expected. Well, no, this is 23% just of the trans women, the transsexual women. Right. That, you feel like uh, high? Of transsexual women or, mm-hmm. tra- or transgender people? who Transsexual women. Oh, okay. So tra- 23% of transsexual women. Okay. So people who are identifying as transsexual women. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Misinterpreted. Did you ask questions in terms of uh, how people felt about the surgery and, and whether or not they they wanted to have it, even if they may not be economically able to have it, or even if they were suspicious of the medical procedures around it? Or did you did you go into details on any of that? I asked that in, in the phone interviews. Uh-huh. And you do do find that there, are, like for example, uh, especially the younger you go, the more you find that there are people who are interested but haven't had surgery. For example, uh-huh. you know, obviously sure. the the younger you are, the less money you have, and you may not be in a place to to have surgery. Sure, sure. less opportunity. Sure, yeah. but you know, even even among people who are, you know, in their sixties, only twenty five percent had 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 surgery. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That, yeah. I mean, that's good. That's a good result um, in terms of making it more tenable for people to not have surgery, making it okay to not have surgery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it just shows, again, the diversity of, of our community. Yeah, it's also good in terms of activism because um, those kind of numbers are very helpful when we go to legislature and say, you know, we want to enact laws to provide protection on the basis of gender expression and identity. We want people to use appropriate bathrooms. But no, we don't want it to be determined by what shape your genitals are. Right. And in my work, it's important because a lot of institutions, in order to change gender on record, are looking for some proof of surgery. Absolutely. And okay. I, and I got to come back to them and say, you know, that's just so inappropriate because even people who are in their 50s and 60s are often choosing not to have surgery. That's feel, right. feel themselves to be who they are without surgery. 
and yet you're going to tell some 20-year-old kid that they need to have surgery before you're going to change their, their records when that's such a huge yeah. life decision to make at such a young age and Absolutely. obviously they can't afford to do so properly at that young age anyway. Not to mention the yeah. risks associated with the surgery and oh, the, the lack of support for it financially and otherwise. Yeah. Now, and how how's that going in terms of uh, your work? And I know that you were looking at other other colleges and universities too, and policies. What what right. trends are you seeing in terms of uh, acceptance? Well, a lot of schools have or are now in the process of changing their non discrimination policies to include gender identity expression. We've gone, we've more than doubled the number of schools that have changed their policies in the last year and a half. That's we good. have now more than 70 institutions, which is wonderful, but I don't see the follow-through in many of those institutions in terms oh. of trying to enact policies that are going to be supporting trans students. So they say, on the one hand, we won't discriminate, but yet you are, because you're not doing anything to ensure that, that trans students don't face discrimination mm. in residence life or in the registrar's office or seeking health care on campus. That's great. Yeah. That's you good. Know, so it's trying to, trying to push them on recognizing the limitations of, of just simply changing the policy. You know, it's, it's a first step. Do, now, do we know when, um, or do you have any idea when your study is going to be complete? When we'll have these numbers to uh, to use? Well, we're looking to finish. We're doing this as a book, but we're also doing several articles as well. And the articles will will come out over the next four or five months. The book we're hoping to get finished, a draft finished in February, to have it out. Hopefully, sometime later next year. Okay. You know, it takes a while for a book to you know go through the of process course it of does. being published, but hopefully, we don't want it to be too long because this data will get old, as old as it does. But that's I think right. especially with this data being about a community that that seems to be constantly um, changing and redefining itself, we want we want to get it out here before it gets to be too too difficult to uh, make any kind of conclusions from it. But you'll provide some of the data in articles. We will, and there's some up some of the. The demographic information is currently up on my office's website, and we'll be putting more up as we... Can you give us that link? Sure. It's it's, um, umass.edu slash stonewall. Okay. Okay, great. And we'll we'll provide a link to that for everyone who's listening. Yeah, people can go to the... It's on the right side of the screen. It says transgender issues, and there's a link to this study called Understanding Transgender Lives. And, uh, Brett, unfortunately we're starting to run out of time, but um, what are you hoping that the, the data is going to be used for, Brett, Jenny? I hope it will be used both by people in and outside the trans community to better understand ourselves and people who, who work with us to better understand uh, the trans community, to recognize the diversity, to recognize that... Um, there's a great deal of complexity here, and it's not something that um, you can understand uh, without doing a lot of, of research and recognizing that we're, there's different population groups. So hopefully getting people to understand that we're not all alike and that there are some critical needs of the community that are not being addressed. That's right. All right. Well, we certainly appreciate you doing this work. Uh, studies such as this, as this have been instrumental 
in changing the way our culture thinks about transgender folks and gender in general. So thank you so much for this work. My pleasure. It's going to help a lot. All right. All right. So, Brett, Jenny Beeman, thanks for being our guest. We'll, we'll include those links on the site, and uh, appreciate it. All right. Good night. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Well, that That's a like, huge study. Yeah. It there's really is there's huge. no study uh, even comparable in that size. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah it's this quite is, large. This is really huge. Yeah. I just... Uh, I got a little carried away there, but you just, you know, given that it's an online study, you really can't draw conclusions about people's usage of the Internet. That's that's just... Well, I agree with that. that that's just a big mistake. But I, I think that, you know, not not to undermine the uh, the whole study, because one of the things oh, that, of course not. that Brett Jenny is finding is that there's a lot more gender diversity instead of people going off into binaries of men and women, that there seems to be a real trend of... of what it sounds like is that the study is going to um, sort of prove the things that we already know, um, because this is something we already know. We already know the young folks are, as they come along, that they're um, rebelling against Well, see, we binaries. do, but that's, that's, yeah, that's the area that we work in, and that's what we see all the time, and we're privileged to have a, a window to it. But if you have your administrators in the school that don't have a clue about anything, well, they're not going to read the study. What's going to happen is we're going to take the study to them, and we're going to say this study right. proves that what we're saying is right. Yeah. It's not going to change what we're saying, but it will underscore our, our credibility. Yeah, and, and for people that, that don't know, yeah. And Mark says it's time to go, and it is. That does it for our gender talk tonight. Coming next is DJ Jamiz with The Choice is Yours. So don't go our way. Our website is gendertalk.com. Check it out. Lots of good resources there and much more to come. That does it for our program tonight. We hope you've enjoyed our show as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. On behalf of Still There, Not the Still There, Hal Fuller, Mark Weaver, Gordine McKenzie, Raven, Raven, and myself, Nancy Nangeroni. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next Saturday evening at 8 p.m. right here on WMBR in Cambridge. In the meantime, remember, no matter what the occasion, gender talk is always appropriate. Good night, everybody. Thank you.